The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Happy Christmas Eve, Eve. We have a lot to get to in the next hour, including a stunning guilty verdict for the ex-Minnesota cop who killed Dante Wright during a traffic stop earlier this year. Kim Potter claimed that she mistook her handgun for her taser. But jurors today found her guilty of first and second degree manslaughter. And I promise we are going to end this show on a happy note with some moments of joy and the real Santa, the real one. So stick around for that. But we begin the readout tonight with a status report on the American Republic. 2021, the year that was supposed to make up for 2020, has been a roller coaster, to put it mildly. That started with a limited audience capacity ball drop in Times Square followed five days later by a violent attack on our nation's capital, not by foreign terrorists, but by American ones. They even brought a noose to lynch Mike Pence with. And from the moment that we saw these scenes of hundreds of screaming, in some cases violent insurrectionists, storming the Capitol on July 6th, defecating on the grounds, beating police officers with their own shields and bear spraying them, all in the name of keeping Trump in power over the will of 81 million voters, We knew that nothing would ever be the same. For the first time in 245 years of U.S. history, a defeated president of the United States had refused to leave office with dignity and participate in the peaceful transfer of power and instead had provoked a violent attack on his own capital, on the United States Congress and on his own vice president. And while the January 6th committee continues its work in Just what journalists and and authors and analysts have put together so far, we already know that that former president, Donald Trump, pushed for the Department of Justice to declare the elections in several key states to be invalid due to massive voter fraud as part of a strategy written up by members of his legal team, conspiracy kooks, pillow and furniture salesmen, and a psyops military guy, possibly a former cabinet member, and maybe even members of Congress to use that big lie to try to cling to power. We know that Trump plotted to replace unwilling DOJ leadership with people like Jeffrey Clark, who were willing to go along with the big lie and the plan. That he pressured the vice president to reject his constitutional duty to certify the election and threatened to let the lynch mob have him if he wouldn't. That he pressured governors and state legislatures in the key states that he lost to overturn the will of their own voters based on the big lie and send Trump electors, not Biden electors, to Congress. And that the Department of Defense either delayed sending National Guard troops to rescue House and Senate members and their staffs and assist police who were in hand-to-hand combat with the insurrectionists for unknown and possibly sinister reasons, or that they delayed sending the troops, as a new Just Security report states, because they feared that if the Guard were deployed, Donald Trump, as Commander-in-Chief, would flip their mission and use our military, not to save the Congress, but rather to clear the Capitol and stop the certification. We know that some Republican members of Congress, at minimum, sympathized with Trump's attempts to overthrow the election and to mount a coup. Or 
that they actively participated in some part of it. And we know that right wing media members who currently pretend to have been down with the coup from the you know, from moment one pleaded on Insurrection Day for Donald Trump's chief of staff to get him to stop it. And now Republicans in Congress are trying to throw all the sand that they can into the gears of the investigation, including the House Minority Leader attempting to install a possible leader of the failed coup, Jim Jordan, onto the investigative committee itself with Jordan who, by the way, is the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee, now hinting that he will refuse to cooperate with an investigation by his own branch of government about an attack on his own branch of government. While Republicans at the state level dismantle access to the ballot for people of color all over this country in order to get the coup right the next time. Yeah, it has indeed been quite a year. Joining me now is Congresswoman Madeline Dean of Pennsylvania, who was an impeachment manager earlier this year, and Kurt Bardella, advisor for the DNC and the DCCC. And Congresswoman Dean, I will start with you, because just the, the idea that all of this happened is surreal for me, and I'm sure even more so for you since you lived through the attack. But what do you make of the fact that, to me, maybe the worst part of it is that Kevin McCarthy, knowing what I just said to be true, because he said so at first, after the insurrection happened, then try to put Jim Jordan, who Liz Cheney has been saying from day one, has been giving him that side eye and making comments to him. He knew that Jim Jordan was probably part of it, if not a leader of it, still tried to put him on the committee. Here's Jim Jordan, unable to explain. Um, well, here is him talking about the January 6th committee on various occasions from October to today. Take a listen. I guess, are you willing to tell the select committee what you know uh, about events leading up to during? I've been clear all along. I've got nothing to hide. I've been straightforward all along. I got real concerns. I think the country has real concerns about any committee that will take a document, alter that document, totally mislead the American people. I got real concerns about, um, you know, uh, working with uh, with trying to trying to, to work with any, any committee like that. Congresswoman Dean, this is like knowing someone participated in a bank robbery and then trying to get them on the jury. This is bizarre. But your thoughts on Jim Jordan and the House Minority Leader, Kevin McCarthy? Well, Joy, I have to tell you, I'm pleased to be with you and with Kurt tonight. Uh, and uh, by the way, on your skinny jean thing, I'm with you. We have to uh, absolutely outlaw those. But thank you also for promising to end with Joy, because what you and I are talking about is very, very serious stuff. Uh, the, the stuff of uh, Jim Jordan, sadly, he is not a serious legislator. He's a serious performer, uh, but he is not a serious legislator and he's not a serious American. He doesn't care about democracy. He doesn't care what happened on January the 6th and the lies that led up to it that he participated in. And he's running quite scared. That's what we're actually seeing with Jim Jordan. You notice on my committee, on, on our Judiciary Committee, how glib he is at spewing lies. And when he's asked about his participation in January the 6th, when did he speak to the president? You spoke to him often. Surely on January the 6th, you recall when that was. He stammers. He can't figure it out. He's running very, very scared. We have to make sure that the truth comes out. The January 6th committee is doing extraordinary work, has interviewed more than 300 uh, witnesses, people who know something. And what I have said to Jim Jordan or anybody else like Leader McCarthy, 
uh, or the former chief of staff, you should say, I will offer you everything I know. I'll give you my phone. I'll give you my documents. I'll give you my emails because I know that we suffered the most extraordinary attack on our democracy and it must never happen again. Yeah. I mean, Kurt, you know, this guy, Jim Jordan. I mean, if he if if the Republicans take over the United States House of Representatives, he is likely to be chairman of the Judiciary Committee, a man who at minimum was in favor of overthrowing a legitimate election and installing the loser as president, but or who at worst participated or even led the effort from the congressional side. It's like the burglars are still in the house. Dream with me for a minute or maybe nightmare with me. If he then gets the shit, the gavel, what might someone like Jim Jordan do with that gavel? You know, it's going to be just an amazing demonstration of hypocrisy. Follow the path of Jim Jordan, someone who spent the better part of eight years when Barack Obama was president crusading about oversight, crusading about checks and balances. All of a sudden, he was for subpoenas and hearings and witnesses and documents. And the path to the truth was through the House of Representatives, he once famously said at a hearing which he held someone in contempt of Congress. Then Donald Trump comes into office and all of a sudden his zeal for oversight disappears. Now he's actually being asked to participate in understanding and investigating the most horrific day, perhaps, in the United States history. And he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't believe in checks and balances. He doesn't believe in the legislative branch as a co-equal branch. But I'll tell you, Joy, if he becomes chairman of the Judiciary Committee, all of a sudden he will find zeal for oversight. He'll be going after Biden. He'll be going after the, the president's family. He will be issuing subpoenas, holding hearings, making the committee a kangaroo court. If you thought Benghazi was bad, it'll be like that on steroids. If this guy gets the gavel of the House of Representatives, this really sets the stakes for what's what we're, we're coming up to in 2022. What really is on the line, because these guys, they don't care about democratic norms. They don't care about what's right. They don't care about what's true. They just care about power and how they can use it and weaponize it to inspire fear and go after their political adversaries. This cannot be allowed to happen. You know, and, and Congressman Dean, I think that Curtis is absolutely right. I mean, I, I still recall Hillary Clinton, Secretary of State Clinton, sitting in front of a Benghazi committee for 11 hours. She willingly went. They didn't have to subpoena her. She went. I mean, I, the Fast and Furious BS investigation, in which they dragged Eric Holder before it, held the former attorney general in contempt. The, the, the kangaroo court was in existence during President Obama's time because he was a president with a spotless record on corruption and they needed to create some fake corruption in order just to dirty him up. That is how Republicans do business. They, they, it, none of it is serious. The Clinton impeachment, none of it was serious. And so I, I wonder if Democrats are worried enough about what a future under the leadership of people like that with the weakness of Kevin McCarthy, if he even would get to be speaker, it might be Jim Jordan, <laughs> right? It might be Donald Trump. Your thoughts. You're and do you trust the Supreme right. Court, by the way, because the Supreme Court now has the case before that Trump is trying to get him to block access to his records. I don't trust them either. Do you? No, and, and, and thank you for raising the specter of Jim Jordan as chair of the Judiciary Committee. I shudder to think of a majority uh, with the gavel in either McCarthy's hand or Jordan's hand or whomever they put forward. 
Uh, and I have to say, Kurt, I read one of your recent essays where you said Democrats have to run uh, as though they know they will lose. Uh, I'm paraphrasing you, Kurt, uh, in 2022. I don't do that, but I'm actually taking your advice because I'd hate to wake up in 2022 having lost the majority. With Mr. Jordan in charge of the Judiciary Committee, uh, that will be a, a horrendous moment for, uh, for certainly the committee, but much more importantly for the country. We have to make sure that uh, Mr. McCarthy, who is um, frankly um, weak uh, and a bully, uh, that's what bullies actually are uh, representative of, somebody who is weak, uh, and Mr. Jordan, who cares nothing for the truth and loves to be a bully, uh, I've witnessed and suffered both uh, with both of the two gentlemen I just talked about. We Democrats have to run. We have to run hard. And we have to make sure that we lift up the very thing that matters to America and to the longevity of democracy. And that is honesty and the truth. We will expose yeah. the truth. January 6th committee and its hearings and its report will expose the truth. And that's exactly what people like Mr. McCarthy and Mr. Jordan are afraid of. You know, and Kurt, uh, President Biden has announced that he does support a filibuster carve out, which is good news to change a position for him. But, you know, if, if Democrats are not able to get enough voting reform in, because the, the outcome of the big lie is that Republicans have used it as an excuse to enact draconian um, impediments to access to the ballot that are specifically targeted at people of color, at preventing people of color from doing what they mm -hmm. did in 2020, which is voting for someone other than a Republican. And they're making it so hard. They're trying to shoehorn people into long lines, taking away the, the locations where you can vote, letting um, God knows who, maybe the Proud Boys are going to show up as poll watchers to intimidate voters, allowing all that. And the Supreme Court has said, go ahead, do whatever you want. John Roberts has never been for access to the vote. He's always been against the Voting Rights Act. So. The next step to me, I mean, I guess the question to you is, you know, Steve Bannon very well. He was kind of a joke, you know, disheveled looking dude. He kind of ran Donald Trump around, dog walked him around. But in the end, didn't he kind of get what he wanted? Because if if the Republicans take over, Steve Bannon essentially is writing the script for the next phase of what will not be an American democracy. Your thoughts. Steve Bannon said it out loud many times. He wants to destroy the establishment, destroy the pillars of our democracy. It's And that's what he's trying to do. And that's what he will do if Republicans are allowed to take back power. And I want to thank the Congresswoman for, for noting my, my piece in USA Today the other day, because the point that I was trying to make here is we have to assume the worst. And knowing that, we need to do everything we can while we have the reins of power to shore up our democracy, to put as many safeguards in place as possible, because we all know the Republicans will not hesitate to tear them all down. So while we have the reins of power, we need to do voting rights. We can do everything right. We could pass Build Back Better. We got infrastructure done. We could cure COVID. It does not matter if we can't have our people show up to vote, if they aren't That's allowed right. to participate in the democratic process. All the policies in the world won't mean a thing if we can't have a free and fair election. And that's why passing voting reform and making sure that we have some sort of safeguard to democracy here has got to yep. be priority one, two and three in 2022. Yeah, indeed. Amen and amen. Uh, thank you, Congresswoman Madeline Dean, Kurt Bardella, wishing you all a happy holiday. Happy New Year. Be safe out there. Thank you very much. Cheers. And up next on The Readout, guilty on both counts. 
And the family of Dante Wright gets a measure of justice for his death at the hands of police officer Kim Potter. Also, with COVID cases surging and testing hard to find, there is some good news tonight about COVID. Plus, wow, what a year. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear. A look back at the moments of joy from 2021, from Trump getting evicted from the White House, millions of jabs going into arms, and neighbors helping neighbors after devastating tornadoes. And gather around, kids. The Santa Claus is joining me live tonight as the readout continues. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. We, the jury on the charge of manslaughter in the first degree while committing a misdemeanor on or about April 11, 2021, in Hennepin County, state of Minnesota, find the defendant guilty. The verdict on count two is we, the jury, on the charge of manslaughter in the second degree, culpable negligence on or about April 11, 2021, in Hennepin County, State of Minnesota, find the defendant guilty. The jury has spoken in the trial of Kim Potter. The former Minnesota police officer was found guilty on both counts of manslaughter in the shooting death of 20-year-old Dante Wright during a traffic stop in April. She now faces up to 15 years in prison. Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison says today's verdict brings a necessary degree of police accountability. Accountability is not justice. Justice is restoration. Justice would be restoring Dante to life and making the right family whole again. Justice is beyond the reach that we have in this life for Dante. But accountability is an important step, a critical, necessary step on the road to justice for us all. And here's the thing. While it is clear that police reform is dead in Washington, DOA, Juries across this country, including multiracial, but even majority white juries, 
are enacting their own kind of police reform, forcing accountability on a profession that hasn't faced much of any over the centuries. And if that should teach us anything, it's that the first step in reforming police is voting. The people in Minnesota elected Keith Ellison as their attorney general. He has taken over several of these high-profile police cases that other attorney generals might have let slide. Having an AG with a mind for criminal justice reform is how you get to these verdicts, full stop. Joining me now is Congresswoman Karen Bass of California, who is a candidate for mayor of Los Angeles, and Katie Fang, trial attorney and MSNBC legal analyst. And Katie, I've been watching you on MSNBC throughout the day, so I kind of know the answer to this, but I want to let anyone who missed you earlier to get the benefit of your wisdom. Were you as surprised as I was by these guilty verdicts? I was, but it's because we get so confident that when we hear a juror note come out, that that means that it's something, that it means that it's foretelling or even foreboding of the potential for something. And with there being only three notes that were sent out by this jury during this trial, one of which was, Judge, what do we do if we cannot come to a consensus or a unanimous verdict? That gave a lot of us some cause for pause and some fear that we were going to get a hung jury. And so when the guilty verdict was read, especially on count one, Joy, which was the first degree manslaughter charge, when that was read, we knew that count two, the second degree manslaughter charge was going to be guilty. We actually have found out, too, by a, a review of the verdict forums and what has been reporting in the media right now is that the jury actually came to the guilty verdict on that second degree manslaughter charge a couple of days ago. So it really hmm. was whether or not they could find that first degree manslaughter elements that the prosecution had proven to be able to carry the day. And as we've seen through the verdict, the prosecution certainly did their job. Yeah. And, and let, let's just play very quickly the prosecution closing, closing arguments. And I will note th these prosecutors like three for three. Um, there, there was the Mohammed right. Noor case, which is a black officer in the same de de department who was found guilty of killing uh, an Australian tourist. But they also found him guilty of murder. That's been rolled back now to just manslaughter uh, and obviously Derek Chauvin. But here's the prosecutor making her closing arguments. Consider the real volume, if you will, of her reaction. She is distraught. She is beside herself. She questions how she could have done this. She collapses to the ground and admits how wrong her conduct was. I'm going to prison and I killed a boy. Is that the reaction of somebody who thought deadly force was really necessary? Also important is what she did not say. She never said, I had to shoot him or somebody could have gotten hurt, like her fellow officers, her police family. And to stay with you for a moment, Katie, the other reason that I expected a not guilty verdict is she's a police officer, right? And, and I always saw the Derek Chauvin verdict as sort of the um, outlier. Normally, police officers mm. are not convicted of killing a, a civilian, particularly a black person. Let's just be clear in this country. But in this case, it seemed like her tearful testimony actually hurt her. Get, taking the stand, it, I feel like it worked against her. No. Yeah, it, it did. Especially we all did not miss when you were reading that verdict. She didn't shed a single tear when that verdict was read. Right. You had the, the yeah. you had the tears, the big crocodile tears when she was testifying. We got absolutely nothing when she was told that her liberty was now gone. So yeah. the, the amazing thing that we're seeing, Joy, is the following. We heard from Keith Ellison about the accountability. And by the way, until Keith Ellison got involved, just like in the Derek Chauvin trial, you only had second degree manslaughter. You didn't have the first degree manslaughter, which was the more serious felony that has more time. Yes. It was after Keith Ellison got involved that we got the additional charge. But quickly. You're seeing accountability and that jurors are now willing to convict. 
their peers, right? That look like them. That's the difference here. When you have a black victim, normally there's a concern that you have a white defendant that's hard enough. But when you have a white police officer, that's even mind blowing that you'd actually have now back to back the convictions of two white police officers and the deaths of black men. Yeah, indeed. Let let me bring you in, um, Representative Bass. Let me first quickly play Attorney General Keith Ellison. This was his message to law enforcement. Take a listen. We hold you in high regard, and we also hold you to high standards. We don't want you to be discouraged. And when a member of your profession is held accountable, it does not diminish you. In fact, it shows. It shows the whole world that those of you who enforce the law are also willing to live by it. And that's a good thing. It restores trust, faith, and hope. Representative Bass, Keith Ellison is an elected official. Um, attorneys general are making these decisions on whether to upcharge or whether to charge at all. We've seen that go both ways, particularly in cases like Tamir Rice uh, and other cases where it seemed that the AG was not interested. I think about the Fruitvale, uh, the, the, the Oscar Grant shooting, um, which was another case of thought I drew my gun, drew my taser. That also resulted in a conviction on manslaughter charges. Um, I think about the Kyle Rittenhouse judge, also an elected official, somebody who was clearly on Rittenhouse's side every moment of that trial. These are all elected officials. You're running to be mayor of a very important city in this country. Is part of the lesson here, and you worked on police reform at the federal level, that the real police reform that's happening is happening on juries, well, actually, I think it's it is happening on juries, but it's also happening on the state and the local level as, as well. So we might not have exceeded on the federal level, but all of the people that were protesting last year did bring about tremendous change. And I think that it's very important. I also think that, you know, the level of understanding of people that when the defense attorney basically said, well, she made a mistake and everybody makes mistakes. It's like made mm. a mistake. Someone lost their life. This was an officer who had not only did she have 26 years experience, but remember, she was training another officer. And so that makes it even all the more frightening. But I think it's important to recognize that just because a bill does not pass Congress and make it on the president's desk, it doesn't mean that there's no other avenues to change. You should know that the minute Uh, our efforts failed. We did appeal to the administration for them to go as far as they can using their authority to further some of the reforms that we were trying to have passed into legislation. But what I think about is the ways in which reform are actually playing out in the real world, that you do have more and more juries who are willing to convict police, which didn't used to be so likely, particularly when it was a black uh, victim. Um, but you, you also have, I, I hope, more focus on who people are electing to be judge who people are electing to be attorney general. A lot of time people right. skip these ballot questions. They go right to president or governor and skip all and skip everything below. But some of that stuff below are really important because a lot of these are elected officials who are deciding whether to charge, what to charge, whether to ignore these cases or whether to put police in this, you know, vice grip with people like what you want to be mayor, where everybody is all on the same side and that leaves the victims on the other side. Exactly right. And I really uh, want to call attention to what the attorney general was saying, because, you know, he made the point that 
This is not to discourage people from becoming police officers or remaining in the force. This is about lifting up the profession, lifting up the profession so that you gain more trust from the public. And thank goodness the verdict is what it is, because you don't want people to be so demoralized that they reject uh, the police. I do have to say, though, that we there is another step in this process. There is the sentencing. And I will tell you that, you know, communities across the country will also Mm -hmm. be afraid maybe she'll get a slap on the wrist. Yeah. And that is going to be the next thing, because that has happened in some of these cases as well. And I'm glad you said the most important word there is profession. We wouldn't tolerate preschool teachers losing, you know, having this many people die on their watch or doctors losing this many people. Doctors have to have a lot of insurance to make sure they're not killing people because that's a profession. Policing is a profession. You should be good at it and at least know your gun from your taser if you want to do it as a profession. Uh, Congresswoman Karen Bass, Katie Fang, thank you both. Wishing you both a Merry Christmas. And coming up next, a mixed bag of COVID news. Good news on the new treat on new treatment options but bad news on our insufficient testing protocols amid omicron's incredibly rapid spread we'll be right back the living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories but your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. With families gathering for the holidays, there is still a lot of confusion about COVID amid a surge fueled by the Omicron variant. But there is good news. Research teams in South Africa, England and Scotland have found that Omicron results in a milder form of the virus and a lower risk of hospitalization. And today, the FDA cleared a second at-home pill to combat COVID, Merck's antiviral, a day after approving Pfizer's oral drug. Merck's pill is in use for adults with high risk of being hospitalized. Meanwhile, the Omicron variant continues to rip through the country. The number of new cases has driven the seven-day average higher than the Delta variant's peak in September, with the Omicron wave accounting for nearly three-quarters of new cases. Americans are weighing the odds on Christmas Eve Eve. With long lines to get a test all across the country and the holiday travel rush already underway. Joining me now, Dr. Uche Blackstock, founder and CEO of Advancing Health Equity. Thank you for being here, Dr. Blackstock. I I did a costume change because it's Christmas Eve, Eve, (laughs) and this is my Santa, Black Santa with the booster shot. He's on, he's gearing that booster shot for everybody. I love it. So, I mean, so, so tell me about this because people are really confused. Everyone I know is really scared of Omicron. Or as some folks are calling it, Omarion. <laughs> they, they're scared of it because it does seem like it's spreading so fast. And I know multiple people, you know, who've, who've unfortunately contracted COVID, you know, just in the last couple of weeks. Is Omicron deadlier or just 
more spreadable. Or should we cancel our plans? Right. So thanks so much for having me. You know, I will say that the data that we have so far, it is preliminary. But what we see from data from the UK, from South Africa and from Denmark is that uh, Omicron may be a bit milder um, than Delta. So we're seeing a decreased risk of hospitalization among people who do get Omicron. But to put that in context, both South Africa and these European countries have a higher degree of partial immunity. So South Africa, 70% of people have have been infected previously with COVID and the European Mm. countries have a higher vaccination rate than the U.S. does. So we can't really necessarily translate that to how it's going, what's going to happen here in the U.S. But what we see so far is an increase in cases and we don't see uh, a similar increase in uh, hospitalizations and deaths, which is good, but we still have a lot of people, as you mentioned, who are becoming infected. Um, we still have to worry about the vaccinated, vulnerable people who are elderly and immunocompromised and children who remain unvaccinated, as well as the other 40 percent of Americans who are not vaccinated. And so among the people who are resisting vaccinations, I mean, there are polls that are saying, let's just go to this Ipsos poll. This is cut five. This is five for my, my producers. Among white Americans, 36 percent are unvaccinated, 75 percent vaccinated. Among black, 78 percent um or, I mean, I'm sorry, are concerned about concerned, COVID if right, they're unvaccinated. Right. 75% of white vaccinated folks are concerned. 36% of white folks who are unvaccinated are unconcerned. Um, but African-Americans and Latinos, if they're unvaccinated, are still super concerned about COVID. Mm-hmm. 78% and 59%. Um, and if they're vaccinated, even more concerned. And the people who are just saying they're never, ever, ever going to get vaccinated, the hardest of the hardcore are Republicans. And mm-hmm. so here is their yeah. king. Here is their king. He went on a mm-hmm. a, a lady show. I'm, I'm forgetting her name at the moment, but he went on her show. It was like a podcast or something. And this is what he said about vaccines. Here it is. The vaccine is one of the greatest achievements of mankind. I came up with a vaccine with three vaccines. Mm-hmm. All are very, very good. The vaccine work, but yeah. some people aren't taking it. The ones, the ones that get very sick and go to the hospital are the ones that don't take the vaccine. People aren't dying when they take the vaccine. Oops. I mean, he's come a long way since he was literally booed in an Alabama rally for saying, I got vaccinated. Everybody's like, boo. Right. So, I mean, the the question is now, if he can't even he's lost control of the plot among his own people. So I wonder if 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 him now coming out very belatedly and saying, no, 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 vaccines are good and trying to take credit for it, which he doesn't deserve. But whatever. Does that change anything at this point or is it just too hardened? Right. I mean, he's definitely motivated by ego. He wants to get historical credit um, for this accomplishment. But I think that he has realized he's turned his base into a monster. He really can't go back. So um, I'm I'm curious to see how um, folks like Tucker Carlson are going to really portray this story of his. You know, the fact that Trump is saying and actually, I think everything he said just in that clip was pretty accurate about vaccines. But the only reason he's doing that is because of, of ego. And so I think that he has to weigh, you know, between um, um, taking credit for this historical accomplishment versus alienating his base. And to be honest, I don't know if, you know, him speaking so favorably of vaccines is really going to change any opinions. Yeah. I mean, at this point, Joe Rogan has more influence than Donald Trump does in terms of regular people and who right. they're listening right. to. Right. And they're not listening to doctors they're not listening to Fauci. They're listening to Joe Rogan. Right? I mean, Aaron Rodgers, the football player, you know, he told him, well, the covid conversation right. is all wrong. Why aren't they talking about nutrition and, you know, lifting weights 
hats and like, you know, doing Zen stuff. And that's the way you can do it. I had COVID. Joe Rogan told me how to cure myself. Like that's where we are. And that's a, you know, wealthy NFL player with access to the best doctors. So I wonder if we are at a point where we're just going to have to live with the fact that there are a certain number of people from a certain specific demographic, political demographic, who are just going to keep dying and filling up hospitals. And the rest of us have to kind of adjust our lives accordingly. I mean, I do feel like we're at an impasse. And I feel at this point, only the vaccine mandates will help. And and those are being uh, held up in court. And who knows what's going to happen uh, in terms of will they survive legal challenges. And so, you know, most of those unvaccinated, as you said, are Republican. They're rural. Um, uh, they have low, lower incomes, less formal education. This is the Republican base. And um, it seems from the polling that they don't want to change, that they don't want to take these vaccines, even though, as we're seeing, people are still getting infected and still dying. Yeah. And I, and unfortunately there are a lot of young black folks out there that are also following it too. And they're not Republicans. They're just, they just don't trust the system. And so these are two groups that, you know, it's very worrying, but anyway, Merry Christmas, wishing you a very safe and happy holiday. Thank you, you, Dr. Uche Blackstock. Cheers. And up next. Okay. I am so excited. It is almost time for my favorite interview of the year. And you guessed it. It's Santa Larry. Santa Larry is here, everybody. Hi, Santa Larry. We'll be right back. shortage of 2021 made it difficult for every kid to meet Saint Nick this year. Luckily, Santa is on TikTok and took the time out of his very busy schedule to pay us a visit from the North Pole studio. And joining me now is Santa Larry, who is just Santa. He just is. Hello. Oh my goodness. Hello, Hello Santa Larry. Hello, Thank you Joy. For coming. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. And thank you for coming for our annual visit. I always appreciate you coming through. And so I have to ask you, Santa Larry, given that it's been such a difficult year, but the supply chains Uh are easing up for Rudolph and reindeer and the reindeer and the sleigh. What is the gift that most kids are the thing that most kids are asking you for? Oh, joy. Children are asking for Barbie dolls, Nintendo switch puppies, uh, ponies. One child asked me for a pony and he wanted me to take it to his pawpaw's house because his pawpaw had a bigger yard. <laughs> and some children ask for things of clothing. And one child says he, he only wanted his mother to get some rest. And I was thought that was just wonderful. And I understand you've brought your favorite picture of a of a kid getting to meet you, a child getting to meet you. Let's see it. Let's put that picture up so we can all see it. And you tell me the story behind this amazing. Oh, my gosh. Look at this pretty baby. Okay, give us the story. Yes. Her name is Ivy Adams, and she lives up in northern Plano, Texas area. She came out to Dax uh, for uh, dinner with Santa Claus. And we had a lot of children there. And I have seen thousands of children over this summer or over this uh, holiday season. And I picked her as the best picture of all children this season. She looks like a dog. She does look like a dolly. She does look like a dolly. Okay. Well, I understand. And listen, Santa, you have 
changed with the times. You've always been modern. You know, you always stick with all of the modern trends. You fit in in every era that you have existed in. But you yes. apparently now have gone super modern because you're on TikTok, Santa, I understand. We're going to show a little video. Officially, you're on TikTok. So let's play a little bit. Let's let's see it. And Santa Larry, you are America Santa one. I am now following you on TikTok. Question one, will you follow me back at MSNBC Joy? And question two, why TikTok? Joy, I like TikTok. And it was an, another platform to uh, get the word out about Santa Claus and help spread joy and happiness throughout the year. And uh, yes, I will follow you back. And I have followed you back. And thank you so much for all that you do. And Joy, oh, I, I want to share something with you. Joy, I want to share do. something with you. All year, I have been spreading joy. I've been making this here for you, Joy. I just got through <laughs> painting it. Oh, my goodness. I love that so much. That is the best thing because, you know, I was, in fact, named Joy because I have a big sister and I was the December baby who was basically her present. So, yes, that <laughs> is why my name. It's really Joanne because that's because I'm Caribbean. But, yes. Oh, I love that so much. That is awesome. Well, I have to ask you, um, Santa, is there something that Santa wants for Christmas? Oh, Joy, I would love for our country to have peace, happiness, harmony. I want all the children to uh, be happy, to have a place to live. And uh, uh, I just want the I just want the world to be joyous. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's true. And, and it's difficult because we are in a situation where people are mostly angry, <laughs> they're mostly sad, yeah. uh, mostly mm -hmm. fighting. Um, and so what can we do just as individuals to be more like Santa, to spread more love and more joy? I tell you, it's all about showing respect and care. And I always say that. And uh, you show a little respect and care uh, uh, for your 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 uh, fellow citizen. I think our country can get back on track. We're doing good. We're America. You're still great. We are. We're. You know what? We're doing great right now because we have Santa yeah. from the North Pole. Give us a ho ho ho, just so that we can get in the spirit. Ho 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 ho. <laughs> I love it. Oh, my oh. gosh. I love you, Santa Larry. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you. Joy, what do you want for Christmas this year? I already got it. You being on the readout. Oh, I got well, it. So well, I've got to finish up with our song. Are you ready for our song? Do it. Joy to the world. Joy is here at MSNBC. Thank you, Santa Larry. I appreciate you. And do not forget to follow Santa Larry on TikTok. He is America Santa One, the number one. Okay, up next. That was awesome. Our 2021 moments of joy. Yes, there were, in fact, some moments of joy in 2021. No, really, I swear you will see. Stay with us. Okay, 2021, you made your presence known. Your book ended by a literal insurrection and a variant that brought the pandemic roaring back. But here's the thing. 2021 wasn't only about COVID and America's democratic decline. From moments of joy to black girl magic, some good did happen. Like that insurrection, it failed. 
John Ossoff and the Reverend Raphael Warnock painted Georgia blue. We marked a new beginning, inaugurating a new president, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. And alongside new leadership, the voice of a new American era took the national stage. Amanda Gorman, the youngest inaugural poet in U.S. history. The new dawn blooms as we free it. For there is always light, if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. The nation's first black and Asian woman vice president, Kamala Harris, swore in the country's first openly gay cabinet secretary, Pete Buttigieg. And in a major legislative achievement, Democrats passed a $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill. But what kept us going? just as much as that aid, the moments of humanity. Like Jimmy Finch, who drove from Tennessee to Kentucky to set up a grill and feed people devastated by the worst tornado in the state's history. We saw accountability for the murders of Dante Wright, Ahmaud Arbery, and George Floyd. We had some epic fashion moments, such as AOC's Tax the Rich mermaid gown at the Met Gala. We met the new kid on the block, G. Young, who made history as the first Asian-American Muppet on Sesame Street. We saw young people triumph, earning their degrees, from Jennifer Rocha returning to the fields where her family works in her cap and gown, to Houston rapper Megan The Stallion becoming Meg The Graduate. Megan Pete. <laughs> And then capping off a big year for the labor movement, a Starbucks location in Buffalo became the first company owned store in the U.S. to be represented by a union. Here's the moment that workers learned that they had enough votes. But no doubt the best thing about this year was a vaccine that prevented millions from hospitalizations and death allowing grandparents to hug their grandkids for the first time in almost a year. When I saw the new guidelines, I was very excited because I have been dying to hug my grandkids. I love him. I'm sure every grandparent has felt this way. It's like... We've been out there in oblivion, just so separated from the people we love. Oh, listen, it is a tough time right now. We know that you're all tired and hurting and facing difficult decisions about the days ahead. And we are not here to be Pollyanna about 2021 at all. But good has a way of showing up, proving that kindness and resilience can always prevail, even at a time like this. So be safe out there. Readout fam, we love you and happy holidays. And that's tonight's readout. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories, but your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.